This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, futanari, women with penises, mutual masturbation, erotic transformations, and discussion of sexual coercion. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 249. Hello, Metamorphs. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamorph City Story Universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you and share the latest on my writing endeavors. So let's get started with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 23 in my Metamorph City erotic fantasy, Homecoming. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In our last episode, John was taken into custody by the Lightbringers. They know that he set off an orgy at a college party, and one of the people who attended that party, Chase Tomley, is now missing. Since Chase's car was found at the scene, the Lightbringers fear that John may have accidentally killed Chase during the orgy, and then hid his body in order to cover it up. What the Lightbringers don't know is that Chase is alive and well at Sam and Lisa Catane's house, but he, too, is an incubus, and the orgy released enough sexual energy to complete his metamorphosis. They also don't realize that John's partner, police detective Kate Catane, has temporarily been turned into a succubus, thanks to absorbing part of John's essence and then part of Chase's. Since Chase is not exactly in control of his new powers, and until this morning, Kate wasn't either, John does not want to do anything to put them on the Lightbringer's radar. Unfortunately, in protecting them, John has put himself under maximum suspicion. The Lightbringers brought John back to their local field office, where he was placed in solitary confinement. There he was questioned by the agent in charge, a woman named Nazreen Kishani. John tried to deflect Kishani's attention away from Chase and Kate by playing the incubus stereotype to the hilt, presenting himself as a smarmy, selfish, and shallow predator, interested in nothing but his own pleasure. In other words, exactly the sort of person he used to be. But Kishani saw through John's deception, pointing out that if he were really the creature he's pretending to be, then he and Kate would not still be in a relationship after most of a year together. The agent knows he's hiding something, and she means to find out what it is. In the meantime, she leaves him one thing to occupy his time, a torrid lesbian romance novel called Honor Bound. Homecoming, a tale of Metamore City, written and read by Chris Lester. 
Chapter 23 John had no other contact with the Lightbringers for the rest of the day. Dinner came to him on a tray slid under the door. Roasted turkey breast, mashed potatoes with gravy, and green beans, all of which seemed to have been reheated from frozen. It was bland, but not revolting, and John ate everything on the plate, since he had no way of knowing what his next meal would be, or when it would arrive. He put the tray with the used dishes back by the door, and sometime later a guard opened the slot and pulled the tray back out again. His one distraction from the tedium was Agent Kashani's romance novel, which was frankly a lot better than John had expected it to be. It followed the adventures of Honor Hinbelview, the sweet and earnest scion of a fictional noble house, and Natasha Volkova, a fierce and socially awkward bodyguard with whom she carried on a forbidden love affair. The relationship was not scandalous because of Natasha's gender, nor even because she was a servant. Rather, it was because Honor was a submissive, and in taking Natasha as her mistress, she was inverting the proper power dynamic between them. The author's knowledge of how the peerage worked was a bit shaky, but she clearly grasped how differences of class could affect relationships, and her portrayal of Honor and Natasha's DS Covenant was refreshingly realistic. Both the sex and the bondage scenes were delightfully steamy as well. John wondered what Kashani's superiors would think if they knew what she was reading on her lunch breaks. He was nearing the end of the book when another tray passed under the door. This one contained a cheap plastic toothbrush, a travel-sized tube of toothpaste, a thin bar of soap, a washcloth, and a small towel. Taking the hint, John brushed his teeth and took a bird bath in the sink. Shortly after that, the lights in the room went out again. John's dark vision did not allow him to make out words on a page, so he set the book aside and went to sleep. In his dreams, John found himself back home in the hedonist temple, walking through the sanctuary where they held their services. Couches, mattresses, and pillow pits covered most of the floor, creating a relaxed space where their sacred orgies could be held in comfort. An elevated platform stood at the far end of the room, with a podium where the priest on duty could deliver the message. Before the podium stood a padded altar marked with the holy symbol of Suspira, where the faithful could present their bodies as living offerings to the goddess. On top of the altar lay Kate, her head propped up on one elbow, watching him with an amused expression. She was naked, and she still wore her succubus form, her reddish skin glistening in the dim light, her penis half-erect, her tail flicking up and down like a cat's. John went to the foot of the altar and knelt. He made a gesture of obeisance to Suspira's holy symbol, kissing the tips of his first two fingers, then touching them to the black and red enameled steel. Only then did he ascend the steps to stand behind the altar. Kate turned over and greeted him with a passionate kiss. "'I always hoped I'd get to bring you here,' John said, once they had parted. Kate smiled impishly. <laughs> "'Only in your dreams, love.' She spread her hands. "'Which this is, so fair enough.' John chuckled and sat down on the edge of the altar. Kate came over and straddled him, 
wrapping her legs behind his back. Her feet stroked the base of his tail, which made him realize that he was in his incubus form. The tip of her cock pressed against his belly, while his own penis lay just beneath it, the head brushing against the lips of her pussy. He reached down and wrapped his hand around both of their shafts, rubbing them together as he stroked them. Kate purred in pleasure, and they both grew hard under his touch. Kate kissed him again, more deeply, then put a hand atop his to stop its movements. As much as I'm enjoying this, we have stuff to talk about, and I'm not sure how long this spell is going to last. John blinked in surprise. A nyromancy? Since when can you do that? Kate's expression turned serious. Since I learned that an ancient cosmic entity has been trying to reach me through my dreams, I figured if the shackled god is going to keep trying to drop in on me, I'd better learn how to control the playing field. She waggled her fingers, her face twisted into a dissatisfied expression. I'm still not great at it. It is air magic, though, so I have that working for me. John grinned. Well, I think it's amazing. He ran the fingers of his free hand through her hair, traced his fingertips around the base of her horns. You're amazing. Kate smiled, but there was a tinge of sadness to it. So are you. She cupped his cheek with one hand, and her voice grew softer. I was so worried when they took you away. How are you holding up? John shrugged. They haven't done anything nasty. They've got me in solitary, which I guess they think is torture enough. Have they told you why they're holding me? Kate let out an exasperated snort. Not exactly. I've spent most of the day getting the runaround from one low-level agent after another. I finally got a hold of Agent Kashani, who seems to be in charge of that office, but she just said you're being held for questioning. Then she asked me if I'd seen Chase at the party. John nodded. They thought I might have killed Chase and dumped his body somewhere. Kate's eyes went wide, and her mouth fell open in shock. Then her expression went distant, as she put the relevant facts together, and her mouth closed again. Chase's car, she said. Got it in one. Kate pressed a palm to her face. Damn it, I should have thought of that. In fairness, you had a whole lot of suspira banging around in your head last night. You weren't exactly working at peak form. True. Something else occurred to her then, and her face fell. Gods, if that's what they're thinking, they're not going to let you go until they know Chase is alive. John looked at her seriously. Don't turn Chase in. I think I've got Kashani convinced that I didn't kill him, but she knows we're hiding something. It's only a matter of time before she figures out the rest. Chase needs to go someplace safe, and then call his parents and let them know he's alive. Once he does that, the libs will have to let me go. Kate set her jaw and nodded. Where did you have in mind? John gestured at their surroundings. Well, there's the temple, of course. Mistress Jasmine would take him in. I could probably wheedle my way into making him my understudy or something. The other option would be to go to Miss Fallon, ask her for safe harbor. She seems to like taking in strays. He shrugged again. If I were free, I could try to contact one of the local temples, see if there's anyone who could take him on. But I don't know the priests out this far, and I don't want to send him to someone I don't know he can trust. 
Kate sighed. All right, I'll let him know. She paused, then added, He took Mom's advice, by the way, sat down with me and Emily and told us everything. John felt a brief flush of pride. Good. How did Emily take it? She was mortified, but also weirdly relieved. He's been giving her these mixed signals for months, and she was starting to feel like she was going crazy. At least now she understands why. She smiled fondly. They're good kids. They'll figure it out. They will, John agreed. A flicker of light ran through Kate's body, her flesh turning briefly translucent. She grimaced. Damn it, the connection's breaking up. One or both of us is leaving Rem sleep. She grabbed his head in both hands and kissed him hard. Hang in there, babe. I'm gonna get you up. Kate's body dissolved into red smoke and a wind rose from behind him and blew it away. The temple itself faded a moment later, and John opened his eyes to a dark and empty cell. Thursday, November 23rd The lights came on without warning, shocking John back to wakefulness. He rolled over and covered his head with the thin blanket, not wanting to give the bastards the satisfaction. Soon, though, his breakfast tray arrived, a ham and egg sandwich on toast, a cup of applesauce, and weak coffee. So John surrendered to the inevitable, brushed his teeth, and ate before the food could go cold. He finished the book well before lunch. With nothing else to do, he went back and reread some of the better sex scenes, something that Kashani had also done, judging by the location of certain cracks in the paperback spine. He stripped naked and experimented with his shape-shifting, mimicking each of the models on the cover as closely as he could. Honor's form was small, fine-boned, and delicate, as unlike John's own body as any he had ever tried on. Looking in the mirror, he could imagine a lover lifting him easily over her head, suspending him in a web of ropes, or dressing him in a maid's outfit and making him crawl on hands and knees. That wasn't really John's kink, but he could imagine the mingled feelings of safety and surrender that might come with being so thoroughly overpowered by one's lover. But Natasha's body was interesting in its own way. Her broad shoulders, strong legs, and well-defined abdominal muscles suggested something of the classical male athlete, but her generous breasts, wide hips, and soft facial features reaffirmed her feminine side. The cover model was not stereotypically beautiful, but she managed to project the personal magnetism that made Natasha such an appealing character. John looked at her face in the mirror, her storm-gray eyes sparkling with restrained passion, and tried on a small, self-conscious smile. Yes, he could imagine falling for that person, too. A knock sounded at the door, and John heard Kashani's voice call from beyond it. Mr. H., may I come in? John raised his eyebrows. Since when did Lightbringers ask for permission to walk in on their prisoners? Just a minute, he said. He shifted back to his usual human form, slipped on his t-shirt and boxer briefs, and sat down on the bed. All right, come on in. The viewport slid open, then shut again, and the door opened. Agent Kashani came in 
dressed impeccably in a black suit and white blouse that were indistinguishable from the ones she had worn yesterday, though she was not, John noticed, wearing a tie. She had a couple more paperbacks tucked under her arm, which she offered to him as she approached. John glanced at the titles on the spines, Word of Honor and Honor Among Thieves. I brought these from home, in case you wanted them, she said. John took the books and bowed his head in appreciation. I do, thank you. I quite enjoyed the first one. He set the new books beside him and handed the first volume back to Kashani. Somewhat to his astonishment, she smiled at him. I'm glad, she said. She sat down on the bed about a meter away from him, her body half turned in his direction. Did you sleep all right? Are you getting enough to eat? John was beginning to feel disoriented. What's she playing at? It's not exactly first-class accommodations, but it's fine. He paused, then asked, Has there been any word about that Tomley kid? Nothing I can share yet, Kashani said. She wasn't looking at him. She studied the book in her lap, turning it over in her hands, running her thumb across the edge of the pages. We're checking some things out now. If it concerns you, I'll let you know. She glanced up at him, as if something had just occurred to her. Why, did you remember something else? John smiled thinly. So, this was just another attempt at emotional manipulation. Nope, just curious, he said. Well, Agent, I'm sure you have plenty of other work to do. Thank you very much for the books. He picked up the second book in the series, opened it to chapter one, and began to read. But Kishani did not move. Well, actually, things are sort of slow right now. So if there's anything else you need, or want, I'd be happy to help if I can. John did not look up from the book. I want to leave. If you can arrange that, wonderful. Otherwise, I can't think of anything. Ah. Agent Kashani got to her feet, started toward the door, and stopped. She did not quite look back at him, but her gaze fell somewhere on the floor between them. I only ask, she said, very quietly, because sometimes the thing we need most is the thing we dare not name. John's eyes snapped up at that. It was a quote from Honor Bound, from the scene where Honor had confessed to Natasha about her need for bondage and submission. And the posture Kishani was standing in now, her head bowed, her eyes downcast, her hands folded in front of her, was the same pose Honor had been in when she made that confession. Oh my goddess, John murmured. A great many details of his time here suddenly made a lot more sense. He set the book aside and patted the top of the bed. Sit down, agent. Please. Kashani sat. She still did not look at him. A flush was creeping into her cheeks. You gave me that book because you thought I'd use it to seduce you. John said it softly, matter-of-factly, with no accusation or judgment. You knew that I'd figure out what you wanted, and you came here alone because you thought I'd act on that knowledge. Kashani's blush intensified. Why didn't you? she whispered. 
John spread his hands. Because I'm your prisoner. This isn't kink, Nazarene. This isn't a scene at a dungeon. You have actual, direct control over my freedom. Over my life. Consent isn't consent if it's coerced. Kishani flinched as if she'd been slapped. I didn't want to coerce you to do anything. I was... Well, I'm a lot more like Honor than Natasha. So you wanted me to dominate you, tie you up, and act out your deepest fantasies on you, while you held all the actual power in the situation. He was trying to be gentle, but he heard the edge of anger creeping into his voice. That's called topping from the bottom, Nazarene, and I didn't consent to it. Do you see how that's still coercion? Kashani wilted. I do, she whispered. Now. Tears welled up in her eyes, and she wiped them away. John softened his tone. You don't have anyone you can talk to about this, do you? The Lightbringer shook her head and sniffed. We don't talk about this sort of thing in my family. I didn't know anything about any of this until I read those books. She let out a hollow laugh. And it's not something I can talk about at work. Good old Lightbringers, John sighed. I swear it's like being sexually repressed is in the job description. That surprised a more genuine laugh out of her, albeit an embarrassed one. <laughs> Sometimes it feels that way, she admitted. After a moment, and apparently on impulse, she reached out and took his hand. Her eyes lifted to meet his, wide and dark and glistening with tears. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I should have known. John smiled kindly at her. I forgive you. Kashani returned the smile with a shy one of her own. We, um, I'm not going to ask you to, to do anything, but do you think we could just talk for a while about the book and maybe some other things? I have so many questions. In spite of himself, John grinned. I'd be happy to help, he said. And that's the end of chapter 23. Come back next time, when Chase makes an important decision, and things at the Lightbringer office come to a head. Yevgeny Samyatin said, Literature is painting, architecture, and music. So come see the worlds I've built this week. It's time for the weekly writing report. I wrote 2,399 words this week, over the course of 3.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 685 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 126 days without breaking my chain. This was not a great week on the podcast production front. I recorded last week's episode on the evening of Saturday the 15th, but because of house cleaning, some errands, and Mel's 35th birthday party, I was only able to do about an hour of editing each day on Sunday and Monday. Worse, I discovered on Monday that my voice had gone terribly scratchy and gravelly during the second half of the recording, rendering it unusable. Note to self, Never try to record an episode after you've run a D&D &D session with your niece and nephew. 
Because of this, I had to re-record the second half of the episode on the morning of the 22nd. Right now, I'm very glad for all the time that I put in building up my episode buffer. I did work on Honor Bound for four straight days, Tuesday through Friday, but on most of those days I was writing last thing before bed, and I only had time to write for an hour or less. This week I was working on an extended scene between Honor and Noble Alex, whom both she and Natasha believe is a more appropriate love interest for a woman of Honor's station. As I've said before, one of the important elements of a romance novel is to set up a conflict between a character's mask, the position they occupy in society, and their true self, the person they are on the inside. One way to do that is to introduce two romantic interests, one who is a good fit for their true self, and another who is a good fit for the mask they wear. The second character doesn't have to be a villain, or even an antagonist, but if the protagonist decides to be with them, they'll have to sacrifice a part of their true self in the process. Alex is a good person and a true friend, but they're not well suited to be Honor's lover, and in this chapter she gets her first hint that this might be the case. I'm now nearly at the end of chapter 21, and the manuscript is almost 53,000 words. Over on the Patreon feed, we have a new option for those who are interested in supporting me. After receiving requests from about one-third of their patrons, Patreon is now offering annual subscriptions. Rather than being charged a small amount every month, you can choose to be charged for the entire year up front in a single lump sum. If you do, you'll get a discount on your membership, roughly equivalent to getting one month for free. From my perspective, this is a good option for patrons who want to donate at the lower levels, because your payment fees will make up a smaller percentage of your donation. For example, if you pledge a dollar a month, you'll pay $12 in a year, and $1.80 of that will be transaction fees. If you buy an annual membership at the $1 level, you'll pay $11.04, and only $0.62 cents of that will be transaction fees, so I actually make $0.22 cents more than I would from the monthly pledge. This is completely optional. If making a small monthly pledge works better for you, you can keep doing that. But if you'd rather make a larger upfront donation for a year's worth of content, now you can do that, too. To sign up, go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester and take a look at the donation tiers. Choose the level that's right for you, and if you want an annual membership, click the link below the Join button. Whether you choose an annual membership or a monthly one, you're helping me to keep the lights on at Metamore Studios, and keep this podcast running. Thank you so much for your support. I couldn't do this without you. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, Send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. 
It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.